There's just uh, one piece of news to remind you of. It's that next Sunday we've got a big lunch. Uh, so if you're here next week, bring some food, bring something you like, uh, raid something from other people's tables. If they've got something that's nicer than yours, bring and share. So next Sunday we'll be having lunch after the service here. Uh, time to build community together. Right, well, um, you're going to have to uh, bear with me today. I, uh, my daughter Susie got married yesterday. There she is. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty emotionally wrung out. I was actually up, been up since quarter to three this morning. I was just too emotionally spent. I was four o'clock this morning. I was looking at old photo albums of the children crying my eyes out. So <laughs> there could be a lot of that, especially <laughs> as it's Easter Sunday. So, so, so if it all just goes to parts, you just have to bear with me. Grace will come and take over. Okay, so... Yeah, very emotional. Okay, right. Um, next Saturday is the 34th anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster, when in the FA Cup semi-final, Liverpool against Notts Forest, there was a terrible incident which resulted in 97 deaths and hundreds of people injured. And that uh, terrible event had a big impact, still legal action going through the courts up until the last couple of years, more than 30 years after the event itself, changed the whole way that football in the UK was structured in terms of ground safety, major reviews into how the police conducted things, all that kind of stuff. Big, uh, it was a huge event as those hundreds of people were crushed and 97 died. And the questions that were asked were, of course, why did it happen and who was to blame and what can we do to stop it from happening again? And the Easter story is a story about a man being crushed. Read from Mark chapter 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Jesus attracted crowds. These were, at times, large and desperate crowds. And that meant that Jesus was at risk of being crushed to death, which is why he arranged on this occasion for his disciples to have a boat to rescue him from the crowds. Now, imagine yourself into that kind of scene, that kind of crowd. And it might be that you have experienced something like this in your life. When I started at secondary school, we were living in Whitstable, the North Kent coast, but I was going to school in Canterbury, about 10 miles away, so I had to get a bus. And my first day, having been at secondary school, went to the bus station to get on the bus, just waiting for the bus to come. And the bus came, and unbeknownst to me, a tradition at this school was a thing called the crush. That when the bus pulled up, all the boys, it was a boys' school, all the boys fought to get onto the bus. And 11-year-old, first day at school, I remember being absolutely terrified at what was happening as suddenly 
all these bigger boys were squeezed around me and we were crushed as the bus drew up. The thing was, though, within about a day or two, it became the highlight of the day. It was the thing we all most looked forward to, the crash, when, like complete hooligans, we fought to get onto the bus. It was brilliant. But being carried along with a crowd like that can be exciting, but it can also be overwhelming, even terrifying, if there is the real prospect of being really crushed. If there's that prospect in a crowd of having the air squeezed from your lungs so that you are unable to breathe, that is a terrifying experience. And there was a great crowd that was pressing around Jesus. Why? Because he healed them. And of course, we're talking first century Palestine, no NHS, and people would have suffered from all kinds of horrible, debilitating, disfiguring diseases with no possibility of cure. And Jesus is the cure. And the people are desperate to be cured. They know that if they come to Jesus, they know if they can just reach out and touch Jesus, they can be cured or whatever terrible disease, affliction they are suffering from. And so they press around Jesus. And Jesus is willing to heal the crowds, but he is not willing to be crushed by the crowds. The thing is that the crowd could very easily have killed the very one who was offering them life. They could have crushed the life giver to death. And It's far easier to do harm than to do good. It's much easier to make something ugly than to make something beautiful. It's much easier to break something than to heal something. It's much easier to crush than to revive. Think about this building, which we spent all of last year building. A lot of work gone into it. If we decided to wreck it, we could do that in a few minutes right now. Not suggesting we do. (laughs) It would be a much quicker process than it was to build it. Or thinking about preparations to the wedding yesterday, all the care and attention that went into the decorations and the dress and everything else. Hours, days, weeks, months of preparation. It would be easy to wreck it. It's much easier to break. It's much easier to destroy. It's much easier to make ugly than to heal and restore and beautify. And the crowd risked crushing the very one who was offering them healing. Something else in this story is that the crowd knew who Jesus was, but didn't know who Jesus was. They, they knew he could heal them, but they didn't really know who he was. They were coming for what they could get. As it says, they, they heard what he was doing. They heard that he could heal, and so they came to him. They came to him for what he could do rather than for who he was. But it says in the story that the spirits knew, knew him. And cried out, you are the son of God. These are unclean, demonic spirits which were afflicting some people in the crowd. And uh, our culture is different and the way things get expressed is different. But you know those spirits still afflict people. Still people in our society who are afflicted by unclean spirits. And Jesus is still the one who has power to deliver from them. Deliver from those powers that can control people. But at this point in his ministry, Jesus wouldn't allow them to speak and say who he was. And uh, that actually happens a number of times in the Gospels. Jesus heals somebody and says to them, don't say anything, don't tell anybody. There's times when Jesus seems to really want to keep it quiet who he is. And 
we might ask the question, why is that? And the reason is because the time had yet, not yet come for Jesus to be fully revealed. The ministry of Jesus was leading, building to a, a crisis point, to a cross point. There was a moment coming when Jesus would be revealed as the Son of God. This moment wasn't it. The moment when Jesus would be revealed as the Son of God would be at that crisis point, that cross point, at that Easter moment, at the moment when the Father chose to crush him. Because Jesus wasn't meant to be crushed by the crowd. He was going to be crushed for the crowd. So what it says in Isaiah 53. I'm going to read the whole of Isaiah 53, which uh, is a profound passage and probably going to be even more of a challenge in my current emotional state than normal. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Jesus was crushed. Now, the, the cross, crucifixion, was a literal crushing, a, an asphyxiation, that's how those who were crucified in the end died. They died as their lungs 
collapsed, drowned under bodily fluid, which could no longer be supported because of the pain and stress of being hung on a cross, a, a literal crushing to death. But the, the real crushing of Christ was the weight of our iniquities, our sin, which he carried. And so the crowds came to Jesus to be healed, not knowing that he would take up our pain and bear our suffering. And they came to be healed not knowing that it was by his wounds that we are healed. And this is the great proclamation of the Christian faith. This is the great message of Easter, that the Son of God stepped into our humanity. The Son of God stepped into the crowd and was crushed so that we might be healed. He was not crushed by the crowd. He was crushed for the crowd. So we need to see, firstly, the necessity of our healing. Those, those crowds who came to Jesus by the sea, they knew that they needed healing. Their sickness would have been all too apparent. I think it's really hard for us to imagine. Maybe if you've gone to a developing country and gone to a slum, you'll have seen something of what it would have been like. But the, the general level of sickness, disability, disfigurement that people would have carried in that era of history would be, I think, utterly shocking to us. People knew that they were sick. They knew that they needed healing. It was all too obvious. But they also, and we also, need healing of our sin sickness. And the thing about sin sickness is that it's not always so obvious as physical sickness. I'm a good person, is what we say. And what we don't realize is that the fundamental problem for us, our fundamental sickness is our alienation from God. That's the biggest problem of the human race, not being in relationship with God. You see, we were made by God for God to be like God. And if we're not in relationship with God, we're missing our destiny, and that means we need to be healed. In the New Testament, uh, New Testament writers speak about this healing as a process of reconciliation, that there was a divide between us and God, an uncrossable divide, the fruit, the consequence of our sin, rebellion against God. And to be reconciled to God, we need a reconciler. We need an intermediary. We need one who can stand in the gap, close the gap between the sinful human race and the pure, holy God. And that reconciler, that intermediary, that intercessor was Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ being crushed on the cross that we are able to be reconciled to God. We were sin sick. We needed healing. And Christ, hallelujah, is the healer. The necessity of our healing. We need to see then the means of our healing. It is by Christ being crushed that we can be healed. Now the cross is meant to horrify us. If you were around in 1989 and you remember the Hillsborough tragedy and the pictures that came out then, it was shocking. And I was in South Africa at the time, having a year traveling, and saw pictures uh, over there from Hillsborough and shocking images of crushed people laid out on the pitch. Even today, 34 years later, if you look at the pictures, they have power to shock. Shocking images of those people crushed to death. 
And we are meant to be shocked by the crushing of the cross. The cross is shocking. But for us to be healed, there was a price that had to be paid. And only death was sufficient to pay the extent of our guilt. And only blood could cover up the extent of our shame. Our sin sickness was so severe that only death could pay for it in the end. And only blood could cover it. And so the crowds come to Jesus to be healed. They come to be healed because, why do you want to get healed? Because in the end, sickness leads to death. And we want to be healed because we want to escape and avoid death. But in the end, death itself could only be defeated by death. This is what it says in the letter to the Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, it's us, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The crowds came to Jesus to be healed of their physical infirmities. They were looking to escape physical death. Jesus' death means that the power of death has been broken over us. Jesus was our substitute, he took our place, he was crushed. On our behalf, he died our death. Without the cross of Christ, we couldn't, we wouldn't be saved. Without the cross of Christ, we'd still just be looking for the quick healing remedy, hoping for that thing which would make us well and never would. What the cross did was to drive a great spike through our sin sickness. The cross was the great cure by which we are healed of our sin. And so we need to see the glory of our healing. Imagine that you were part of that crowd that came to Jesus by the sea. Imagine that you were somebody who had a terrible illness. Imagine you had leprosy, something really disfiguring, or something which meant that death was imminent, or meant you couldn't work, which meant that you couldn't eat, and all the issues of that all the many diseases, illnesses, sicknesses people would have carried. Imagine what it would have been like to have come to Jesus, for him to reach out a hand, to have said, be healed, and for suddenly your healing to come. Imagine what that would have felt like. Imagine the freedom and the liberty and the glory that you would have experienced if suddenly the thing which had shaped your entire life was gone. Because Jesus, the healer, had told it to be gone. Imagine the glory of that moment. Probably not going to be able to do this. My um, Susie, 10 years ago, uh, went down with an a, a episode of anorexia. I was looking at the photos at 4 o'clock this morning. And looking at the fo- those photo albums, six months, went from normal teenage girl to looking like death, a skeleton. And some of you will remember. And as she talked about yesterday at the wedding, couldn't go to school, could only, was only allowed out in a wheelchair. Death was all over her, six months. Now, by God's grace, within about another six months, you look at the photos, she was 
look like a normal teenager again. And yesterday, she not only looked beautiful, She looked glorious. Glorious. And that's not just because of my dad. <laughs> and there's a picture there of what Easter is about, what the cross is about. Actually, for us, we're spiritually, without Christ, we're like Susie was 10 years ago. But in Christ, we're like she was yesterday. Death defeated and glory given. This is what Jesus did for us at the cross. It's what Isaiah says. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. The great news of the gospel, the great news of Easter is if we come to Jesus, reach out to him, say, Lord, heal me. We are counted amongst these offspring, his children. We're caught up in the great company of the redeemed of Christ. The countless billions stretched around the world and throughout time who have known the healing power of Jesus. That's the glory of Easter, a message of life to the world. Why and how? Because Jesus was not crushed by the crowd. Jesus was crushed for the crowd, for us, that we might be healed and know life. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Thank you that you are the healer. Thank you that you are the one who did carry our sin. Thank you that you were crushed. Thank you it was the will of the Father to crush you. That you could become the intermediary. You could become the gap filler. The reconciler. To bring us to God. Thank you that we run to you, run to your cross. We are counted as offspring, children of God, caught up in your glorious plans and purposes. Lord, I pray everybody in this room would know that, be part of that, enjoy it, and celebrate it. For your glory we ask it, Lord. Amen.